we told you in the introduction of Thessalonians that that <clears throat> Paul was going to talk about end times, and he we said last week that this mystery of the rapture of the church, the catching out, and he he talked about that this was a mystery, and we talked about other things that were a mystery, and and over the last two or three Sundays, we've talked a lot about end times, and Pastor Bobby talked about end times this last, last Sunday, and I think, I think he said he was through, <laughs> or he was talking about it, uh, Israel, which culminated in end times, but I want to give, we're going to talk about it again to, today a little bit, and then we've got one more session, so to speak, when we get to Second Thessalonians, that that Paul brings it up again. Is there, is there over the last little bit? Is there anything, question or comment that you would like to make or ask about end times? I'm not an authority, but we'll talk about it. Okay, everybody's got it together. So, <laughs> okay, let's go to uh, chapter 5, and we're going to read the first 11 verses, and then we're going to come back and, and, uh, and look at some more scripture. <clears throat> now, as to the time and the epods, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a, a woman with child, but they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet and the hope of salvation. But God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. I... Um, have leaned on Chuck Swindoll in, uh, in my study. I want to read you a little bit about what he has said about some of uh, this scripture. He said, the prophecy of the return of Christ began in chapter 4, verse 13 and 18, and concluded in 5, 1 through 11, which we just read. We need to be alert to a few facts concerning this subject 
of prophecy in general. First, we need to understand that our curiosity about prophecy and the future is God-given. In other words, it's normal. God has placed eternity in our hearts, but not in such a way as all the mysteries of the future can be discovered. Like the disciples on the Mount of Olives, we will always have questions, like when will these things happen? Second, we need to remember that God isn't always ready to give us answers to our question. Though everything the Bible contains about the future is true, the Bible doesn't contain everything about the future. God's complete plan for the ages is way beyond our ability to figure or calculate. And he himself only reveals enough to give us hope and to motivate us to trust him. In fact, Jesus said those same to those same curious disciples, it's not for you to know the times which the Father has fixed by his own authority. We need to balance our healthy curiosity about the future with the reality that God does does not answer all the questions we ask. Instead of fixating on fuzzy details, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. And I've, I've purposely not gone into some things that I would have done, as I told you earlier, if I was the younger Bill, I probably would have. <clears throat> Swindoll continues, In short, the day of the Lord is something altogether different than the rapture of the church, not merely because of how or when it comes, but because of whom it affects. There will be hope of salvation during the period of judgment. In fact, in that time, I believe all Israel will be saved. And the book of Revelation looks forward to the great multitude of believers saved out of great tribulation. But the Jews and the Gentiles, the tribulation saints, saved during that period of wrath on this earth, are distinct from the church rapture of the earth, completely spared from the period of wrath. Now, he brought up these tribulation saints. Go with me to Revelation chapter nine, uh, 7. Excuse me. Re Revelation chapter 7. That's the last book of the Bible. As you know, John was on the Isle of Patmos and he... He wrote what the angel told him to write, what Jesus told him to write. Revelation chapter 7, let's begin reading in verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all the tribes and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. 
And they cried out with a loud, a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and have had their wa their washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on his throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will, no, they will hunger no longer or thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down upon them or any heat. For the Lamb is the center of the throne, will be their shepherd, and will guide them to the springs of water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. A little trivia, when somebody says there'll be no tears in heaven, you could say, yeah, there will be, but God's going to put his arm around us and wipe the tears from our eyes. <clears throat> now go to Matthew 24, which we went to last Sunday, and Pastor Bobby went to last Sunday. <clears throat> Matthew 24. We have told you that, that context is everything when it comes to studying Scripture. So, Matthew 24, uh, we'll just pick up at verse 42, which Pastor Bobby read and we read. Therefore, be on the alert, for you know, do not know which day your Lord is coming, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what time the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the, uh, the alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you must also be ready, for the Son, Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Matthew wrote to who? He wrote to the Jewish people. So what he is talking about here, he's talking to the Jews. He's not talking to us, this side of the cross. We also told you last week, or the week before, I forget, that this, from verse 32 to 51, had a dual meaning. It could apply to the church and the rapture. And it could apply the Jews 
and in times. Now, I said, I, and I'm not going to give you anything to write down, but this is what we think. What Bill's been taught and what I'll teach. The rapture of the church could happen at any time. There's nothing that has to happen for Jesus to call his bride home. Now, the rapture of the church, to me, is very important in that because we don't know when he's coming back, and it could be at any time, it's pertinent for us to evangelize and everyone we know and love Amen. get in the kingdom. Because contrary <laughs> to what some crackpots teach, when you're gone, you're gone. When you are asleep, as in dead, you don't have any other chance. So the rapture of the church could happen at any time. The millennium, which is a word for a thousand years, Paul does not address the millennium. In all his writings, he doesn't address the millennium. Now, Peter touches a little bit on it. But John, in the book of Revelation, does say something about the millennium. All the discussion about the rapture of the church, and Pastor Bobby talked about it last week, pre-millennium. Well, what has got to happen before the millennium? This thing we call tribulation. And I don't like to get hung up on tribulation because you're talking about the devil, and I'm not going to give him any airtime. So, so whenever... <clears throat> Whenever the millennium is, God is going to deal with who during the millennium? The Jews. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. There'll be, there'll be people born during the millennium. A thousand years. They will go on. People will be born and... and God in his infinite wisdom has said at the end of the millennium, Satan is going to be loose for a season. Why? To give those people that were born during the millennium a chance to accept him or reject him. Because during the millennium, it's going to be utopia. It's going to be back like the Garden of Eden. That's Bill's words. <clears throat> but yet, there's no sin. So these people that have been born in that thing have been born in a beautiful time. So the devil is going to be loosed and he's going to tempt these people in the millennium. Then, those that reject the Lord Jesus at that time, they will be dealt with with all the other people that have rejected Jesus during this time we call the church age. So, let's see what Paul was saying. Now, Paul, in we're going back to 1 Thessalonians 5. 
The first three chapters of, of Thessalonians, he was talking about going to them, sending Timothy to them. And then in chapter 4, he, he says, I need to teach you some things. And we talked about sanctification, about growing in the Lord to be more Christ-like. And then he talked about in these verses 13 through 18 of chapter 4, he showed them the mystery of the rapture of the church. So let's pick up with verse 1 again of chapter 5. And I don't know how to pronounce E-P-O-C-H-S. Epics. Epochs. Okay. Now you have no time. You Now as to the time and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Well, I, ha I had to look it up. That's a particular period of time, Keebler. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. He says, I'm not going to dwell on that. Verse 2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, what did I just read you about what Swindoll said? He said the day of the Lord was different from the rapture of the church. The day of the Lord is what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. Okay? He says, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at how Scripture uses common, ordinary things that they would know about. They've talked about harlotry, prostitution, leaving the one you're supposed to love. And many, many times when he wants to talk about pain, he'll come back and says, like a lady who's fixing to give birth. In this particular case, he says, it's going to come quick like those pains. It's going to quick like those pains. Verse 3, but while they are saying peace and safety. Verse 2 says, you yourselves know, you know, but in verse 3, all of a sudden it's they. It's those people that are going to be in the end times looking for the Lord to come. Peace and safety and destruction will come upon them suddenly like the labor pains upon a woman with a child, but they will not escape. But, that little conjunction, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you, the sons of light and the sons of day, were night of the night or of darkness. So then let us be, um, let us not sleep as others do, 
sleep, not a sleep. This is regular sleep. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet and the hope of salvation. Now, this is the first book that Paul wrote. That's what we've been telling you. It's what people tell us. He later wrote Ephesians, and he broadens on, on this thing of the armor of God. Here he's talking about uh, faith, breastplate of faith and love and helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but... But for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, in this case, if you're awake or if you have died, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Look up right quick to chapter 4, verse 18. He says a similar thing. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. As Paul unfolds uh, in his teaching through the other letters, um, we, we have a fuller understanding of what he was saying but he was taking these people in Thessalonica uh, on this very careful <laughs> careful trip and telling them about the Lord's return okay and that's uh, until we get we're gonna we're gonna put end times at rest until we get to Second Thessalonians, we'll bring it up again in a little bit. Verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give instruction, that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Now, Paul talks about taking care of the preachers um, or the people who lead us and direct us. Um, we, in modern days, do a pretty good job of that. In years past, the church did a very poor job of that. If you were called into the ministry, you almost took a vow of poverty. Somebody would give you a bunch of turnips sometime or, or something or a chicken somewhere along the line and says, God bless you. But Paul here, going back these 2,000 years, he said, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you 
and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Now, when Titus came along and Paul sent Titus and Timothy to different places, he specifically told them, he says, appoint elders, appoint these overseers, and y'all take care of them. Take care of you. In Acts, we have when the first deacons were were instituted, they he's the institution of the deacons was so we'll have time to pray and look at the scriptures. He says, We've got all this ministry to do and and we need to set these people aside. Now contrary to most Southern Baptist churches, the deacon board is ecclesiastical thing. They were originally set aside to wait on tables, but they've come a long way from that. So he says, take care of these people who are there. This is just basic teaching that Paul wanted to tell the people in Thessalonica. All right. Verse 14, we urge you, brethren, and admonish, excuse me, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one repays evil for evil but always seek after what is good for one another and for all the people. Those two little <laughs> benign verses are loaded. Loaded. Let's go back and look at them. We urge you, brethren, all right. Admonish the unruly. What does that mean? Anybody? Correct. Say again. Correct. Correct. To encourage them. To encourage them. Okay. Show them the right way. Show them the right way. Admonish the unruly. If you're looking it up in a dictionary, which I did, warn of a fault. Reprove with mildness. Mildness. Okay. Admonish the unruly. We've often said in the church when things get a little out of sort, they said, Pastor Bobby says, tell me who they is. I want to meet they. I want to get to the root of they. So if you ever hear of they saying something, you have the right we encourage you, brethren, or urge you, brethren, 
to get to the root of they. That's Bill's paraphrase. We need to be careful. Unity is such a beautiful thing. But when it gets out of control, it's terrible. What they say. That's kind of why I don't watch any news and read anything. It's a bunch of they. But here we're talking about in the church. Admonish the unruly. Next thing he says, as Larry just mentioned, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage those who are weak. Come alongside. And later on, when, when the Spirit was given to us, you know, we talked about that this paraclete, one who comes alongside the Holy Spirit, his main task is to convict us of sin and his next task is to encourage us in the faith. But his first task is to keep us straight, to continue us on this sanctification journey that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. And what's the difference between encouraging the faint-hearted and help the weak? Somebody. I think the, the faint-hearted might be those that are timid or lacking courage or maybe have the resources to do the right thing but just haven't been able to do it, whereas the next group might be people who don't have the resources or um, maybe just aren't physically able to Okay, thank you, Art. Encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. Be patient with everyone. I don't know if you remember going through the gifts of the Spirit when Pastor Bobby was in Galatians. He told us at prayer meeting in, in his sermon, he skipped patience. <laughs> I don't know if it was by design or just he did. I think we could all take a lot of help from that. Be patient with everyone. The old song that I think it came out in World War II, you know, you only hurt the one you love. Sometimes we're left patient with the people we live with and love. Be patient with everyone. The old saying, have we walked a mile in his moccasins, you know. Be patient with everyone. That verse 14 is just loaded with stuff. And Paul casually puts in there, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Now, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people.
You know, human nature hadn't changed in all this time. When somebody does us wrong, what do we want to do? Revenge. <laughs> Paul says, don't do it. Don't pay anyone evil for evil. This old sin nature that we walk around with, you know, we got to be patient with one another. We got to love one another. We got to help those who are weak. And for heaven's sake, he said, that's built again. He said, but always seek after which is good for one another. That's another brother. But he says, and for all people. For all people. Well, those two little verses, y'all take and study on them a little bit because they're rich. When Riley Lace preached to us, he covered verses 16 through, through, um, through 20. I forgot where he stopped, but it, uh, 21, I think. But look at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Look what he said there. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus. We don't know when he's coming. We don't know when the resurrection is. We don't know when this body is going to be joined with our spirit. We don't know these things. But God says it's going to happen. Paul said it's going to happen. In verse 27, he says, Have this letter read to all the brethren. And it's not, un I, I find Paul, you know, he, he, um, he wrote this letter to Thessalonians. We said it's the first one he wrote. And he says, but let everybody read this letter. We've talked about letter writing. You know, we've talked about it's a, we don't do it anymore. You know. My texts roll off after a while. My emails stack up and I don't ever look at them again. But a letter, I'll read it and reread it and look at it and reread it again. Go back to the days that you wrote a love letter to your friend, to your lover. You you read it more than once, didn't you? Letters. We need to get back to where we write letters. But that's just Bill. So that winds up First Thessalonians, and um, Art's going to pick it up next week, and 
he might go to Christmas and he might go to First Thessalonians. So that's his prerogative. So we'll get these next three little chapters and then, then we'll go back to the Old Testament. Um, we've got some ideas about where we're going to go next. If you've got a favorite Old Testament book that we hadn't done, let me know. Any comments? Any questions? Read verses 14 and 15 when you get home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all you are, and we thank you for loving us. Be with the further services, with everything said, done, preached, prayed, sung. Father, we thank you. Father, we're so inadequate in ourselves. Father, we thank you that the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us and teaches us. Bless us as we go from this place. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.